Welcome to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio, sponsored by EarthX, the world's largest environmental experience, and also sponsored by Natural Awakenings Magazine. Live your healthiest life on a healthier planet. Now here's your host, Bernice Butler. Welcome to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio today. We are now at the beginning of our fifth season, and we remain just as excited as we were four years ago to help you explore and understand the unbreakable relationship between your health and the health of the planet. Here we look at the hottest topics related to our environment and its sustainability and how they affect your health and wellness. Here are issues like climate change, plastic pollution, extreme weather events, and others will meet up with everyday impacts like allergies and asthma, digestive issues and gut health, cancers, lung, heart issues, and more. So listen in today as we interview experts for today's show, which is what we do at the beginning of each of our seasons on climate change. And today we're going to talk about understanding the science and the reality of climate change. We're going to look at climate change unveiled, or we're going to try to unveil it anyway. A closer look at the science and your everyday reality. Now, in the midst of our busy lives, with daily routines and responsibilities certainly occupying our thoughts, it's very easy to overlook the intricate dance that's occurring all around us. And that dance is the dance of our climate. Climate change has become much more than a buzzword. It's a global reality that affects us all, no matter how some attempt to deny it. And it's all the way from the air we breathe to the food we eat. And today we're going to explore the science behind climate change. And more importantly, we want to explore why it matters to each of us in our day-to-day lives. Now, the science of climate change is much more than just melting ice. At its core, climate change refers to long-term changes in the average weather patterns that have come to define our planet. And while it's tempting to associate it solely with melting ice caps, as some choose to do, as well as stranded polar bears like we see on TV, its effects are far-reaching and impact every corner of our globe. The primary driver of contemporary climate change is indeed the increase in greenhouse gas emissions, such as carbon dioxide and methane, and these largely stem from our own human activities like burning fossil fuels, as well as deforestation and many uh, industrial processes. And these gases trap heat in the Earth's atmosphere, leading to the greenhouse gas effect. And the greenhouse gas effect is pretty much what it sounds like. You know, when you have a greenhouse, you've got that plastic thing that covers the plants in there. The plants are producing gases and they get trapped within that plastic container. And that's what happens to our environment. And this warming is more than just a number on a thermometer. It manifests itself in extreme weather events, in altered precipitation patterns, in rising sea levels, and disruptions to our delicate ecosystems. From more intense hurricanes to prolonged droughts, the fingerprints of climate change are everywhere and they are evident to those who do not close their eyes to them. Now, as we connect the dots uh, and look at climate change in our everyday lives, you might wonder, how does this concern me in my daily life? 
Well, the truth is the impacts of climate change are closer than we often realize, even though they are just right there at the front door. We've got extreme weather, and it hits home. We notice the increase in extreme weather events, all the way from heat waves, which we've been having here in uh, North Texas, seems like for months, from scorching urban landscapes to severe storms causing flooding. And these events disrupt our daily routines, affecting everything from transportation to the very safety of our own homes. Then there's the food on our plate. Climate change influences agricultural patterns as well as agricultural production, affecting the availability as well as the affordability of our food. And then changes in temperature and precipitation can also impact crop yields as well as the nutrition of the crops that we do have, affecting everything, including the potential shortages as well as the price fluctuations of our food. Then there are our water woes. And some of us, like us here in North Texas, have more water woes than others. Water scarcity is another consequence of climate change. Changes in our precipitation patterns and those melting glaciers we mentioned can impact the availability of water resources, affecting not only our drinking water, but also the water that's necessary for our agriculture and industrial purposes. Then all of these create economic ripples through our economy. The economic implications of climate change are vast, from the increased health care cost due to the heat-related illnesses all the way to the financial toll of extreme weather events on our communities. The impact is far, far reaching. And so understanding the science of climate change is really just the first step. The real question is, why should we care? And I like to say, why must we care? It's really not an option. And that answer lies in recognizing the personal stake that each and every one of us has in this fight against climate change, starting with our own health and well-being. And that's a whole purpose and premise of Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio, is to try to explore and unpack and make it real evident to everybody that unbreakable connection between the health of the planet, the environment, and our own health. But a stable climate directly contributes to our own health and well-being, That's physical, mental, and emotional. And by addressing climate change, we can help to mitigate the health risk associated with things such as the extreme heat, the air pollution, as well as the spread of infectious diseases. Then there's the financial resilience. Climate change poses enormous economic risk, from property damage due to extreme weather events to the potential impact on our livelihoods. And, of course, taking action today can significantly contribute to building a more resilient and sustainable economy for our futures. Then there's just the quality of life. A stable climate ensures the availability of resources that are essential to our daily lives, all the way from clean water and clean air to reliable food sources. So again, by addressing climate change, we safeguard the quality of our life and the quality of our children and grandchildren. And then there's community strength. Climate action is a collective effort. It needs all of us. It depends on all of us. And so by engaging in sustainable practices, supporting clean energy initiatives, and advocating for responsible policies, we can all contribute to building a stronger, more resilient community that we live in, as well as more resilient communities for all of our global citizens. So climate change is indeed not a distant threat, but a reality that is currently, right now, touching every aspect of everyone's lives. So by understanding this science and recognizing our personal stake in the issue, 
then we can empower ourselves to be agents of change. It's not just about saving the planet. It's about securing a better, healthier, and more prosperous future for ourselves and future generations. It's time to act now, again, not just for the planet, but for the very fabric of our everyday lives. Now, this is a lot, but here today to help us unpack this are some very smart people. Our experts today are Chris Field. Chris is director of the Stanford Woods Institute for the Environment at Stanford University and the Melvin and Joan Lane Professor for Interdisciplinary Environmental Studies. Chris's research focuses on climate change, especially solutions that improve lives now and decrease the amount of future warming and support vibrant economies. Chris's recent projects emphasize improving the integrity of natural climate solutions and decreasing risk from coastal flooding and wildfires. As well, he has had leadership roles in the IPCC reports, which we always do one session on those every year, and his role was in the IPCC report on managing risk from extreme events and climate change impacts, adaptation, and vulnerability, and Chris is a member of the U.S. National Academy of Sciences. Welcome, Chris. Did I get all of that right? Hi, Bernice. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank you, Chris, for making time. Our other guest is Don Wibbles. Don is Emeritus Professor of Atmospheric Science at the University of Illinois. He is also Director of Climate Science for Earth Knowledge. And from 2015 to 2017, Dunn was Assistant Director with the Office of Science and Technology Policy at the Executive Office of the President with President Obama. He also led the development of the School of Earth, Society, and Environment at the University of Illinois. And Don is an expert in atmospheric physics and chemistry with over 500 scientific publications related to the Earth's climate, air quality, and stratospheric ozone. He is also an author of the 2007 Nobel Prize-winning IPCC report. So both of our guests are experts and have contributed to these IPCC reports. Welcome, Don. Did I get all of that right? Yes, thank you. And again, thank you, too, for making time for being with us today. Now, we just have a few minutes before we have to go to break. Can you tell us about what is climate change and how is it different from global warming? So global warming is a term often used, particularly by the media, for climate change. The reason that scientists prefer the term climate change is because it's much broader. It isn't all just about warming. It's, a, it's in fact, about the changes in extreme weather, the changes in sea level, and many other aspects of the Earth's climate system beyond just the warming. Thank you for, for that. And again, we'll, we're about to go to break, and I want to talk a lot more about this on the other side, because I do know that that really does create some confusion sometimes, global warming, climate change. And I know before I started doing this show, I used to use them interchangeably. Uh, we'll be right back on the other side with Chris Field with Stanford University and Dunn Wibbles with the University of Illinois. We want to give a shout out now to our sponsors. That is Natural Awakenings, Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex Magazine, The Green, Healthy, and Sustainable Living Authority for the DFW Metroplex and North Texas communities. Print issues of Natural Awakenings can be found in all HEB stores, natural grocers, all central markets, sunflower shops, and many, many other locations, as well as available free for download online at nadallas.com. Check them out. 
Our other sponsor is Lynn Dental Care, practicing dentistry for over 38 years with a holistic approach, looking at the whole body. Specializing in periodontics, Dr. Lynn is board certified by the International Academy of Oral Medicine and Toxicology. Check them out at lindentalcare.com. And our other sponsor is the Weston A. Price Foundation. Based on the research of nutrition pioneer, Dr. Weston Price, whose studies established the parameters of human health and determined the optimum characteristics of human diets. The Weston A. Price Foundation is a member-supported organization dedicated to restoring nutrient-dense foods to the modern diet, as well as education, research, and activism. It connects local farms with health-conscious consumers and their annual conference for 2023 called Wise Traditions is coming up in Kansas City. And there are over 1,200 attendees gathered for learning, demonstration, exhibits, and impressive speakers. For more information on the Wise Tradition Conference, visit wisetraditions.org. Thank you, sponsors. Welcome back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio today. To our show today on Climate Change Unveiled, taking a closer look at the science and the reality of climate change, especially as it relates to our everyday lives. And we are back today with Chris Field from Stanford University and Don Wibbles with the University of Illinois. And they are going to make us smart like they are. <laughs> Again, thank you all for joining us. Uh, Don, before the break, you were talking to us about the difference between climate change and, and global warming. Well, how did we get that phrase of global warming? Because, again, it confuses and, and it's very often used interchangeably by, by everyday folks in their everyday lives. Yeah, and it, it started out with a scientist actually using it as a, in a term in a paper. And then we referred to climate change as global, you know, global warming. And the media picked that up and loved it. And it kind of developed a life of its own. And, and sometimes we seem to get accused of uh, having tried to change the term to climate change because we're trying to hide something. But it's you know, we're not trying to hide anything. It's just that the reality is, is that uh, the changes in the climate system are much broader than just the, the warming. And the warming is important. It has an impact on us. But it's all these other impacts that are really having the major impacts on our society. My favorite ways to characterize what's happening is a term that mm -hmm. Tom Friedman from the New York Times likes to use. He calls it global weirding. You know, it's interesting you say that. My granddaughter calls it global warning. And, and she said that trying to say warming. I said, you know, you were <laughs> that was more right than you ever would have thought the global warning. Uh, but it, would it be correct to say then that global warming kind of causes the climate change? Because climate change is so much broader. It start, It may start with the warming, but then it causes all of this other stuff. Well, it starts with, uh, you, you mentioned the gases in the mm -hmm. atmosphere. Um, you know, there's natural levels of those gases. What we've done is we've changed the, the level, you know, the concentrations of those gases in the atmosphere, and that's causing uh, more radiation, essentially more heat to be trapped within the Earth atmosphere system. 
and that's what's causing the warming, but that also drives lots of other changes in the Earth system as a result. Chris, I want to go to you now. Can you explain and highlight the immediate impacts of climate change on our daily lives, and how can people know it when they see it, and give us some examples that people can maybe walk out the door and see, or go in the kitchen and see? The, the impacts of climate change range from unpleasant to serious to truly catastrophic. The the most frequent thing we see is uh, more hot days and fewer cold days. And in places like North Texas, uh, you feel that every day in the summer. It was probably most clear in Phoenix this summer where there were 31 consecutive days with a high temperature over 115 degrees. And it's not that that was catastrophic, but it's really hard to cope with temperatures that are that hot every day. And of course, those conditions become serious if you uh, don't have a home or if you have to work outside or if you don't get water breaks on your job. And they become potentially catastrophic if you're a disabled person who falls on hot pavement or if your health is challenged such that you really can't cope with the high temperatures. And we see that in, in impact after impact. There's the unpleasant stuff, the serious stuff, and the truly catastrophic. And the truly catastrophic effects tend to unfold most commonly for people who are especially vulnerable, people who are elderly, infirm, very young, or who are economically disadvantaged so that they're in the crosshairs of harm's way. Well, Chris, what happens? How do other places that are even perhaps hotter normally than Phoenix, how do they fare? Like, in Dubai and, and, and some of those places there. One of the things that's interesting and I think very telling when you look at hot parts of the world is that historically they didn't have high human population densities. They, they often had only nomadic communities who would come through during the cool times of the year. And we've really built a whole society around being able to provide uh, energy-intensive cooling basically with air conditioning, and that's now what we see in places like the Middle East and the American Southwest and uh, increasingly even in the Indian subcontinent. There are places that are much more humid than the American Southwest, and that leads to a different set of problems because humans have a wonderful capacity to regulate their own temperature, but that capacity only works when the air is dry enough for us to lose heat by sweating. And in places that are both hot and humid, uh, like the American Southeast or like the Indian subcontinent, it's really hard to lose heat by sweating. And we face the risk of uh, truly catastrophic heat waves uh, with the risk of uh, many, many people, thousands of people dying if we don't have the ability to deliver effective cooling centers and shaded areas in in situations where there's both heat and humidity. Indeed. And Don, you want to weigh in on that? Yeah, I was just going to comment. I'm hearing all the time from friends in Phoenix that, oh, they they have to put up for a couple of months a year with this high temperatures, you know, well over 100 degrees, and they just just don't go outside during those couple of months. Uh, but they say, well, you have the same thing in the north where because you have cold months that you don't want to go outside. The problem is, is both aspects, all parts of the, the world are warming. And so 
you know, when that two months in, in Arizona turns into three to four months at, with a number of days above 120 degrees, and meanwhile, in the north, the temperatures are warming and have less extreme cold days, uh, there really is going to be a major difference in, in the impacts on society between the two. And so we know this with, the, like you said, the south and the southwest, which includes us, us here in Dallas. How are places like Colorado and maybe the Carolinas, how are they experiencing the, the climate extremes or, or changes? They're One supposed the to be moderate. Has, has surprised me and I think has, has surprised lots of experts is that many of the examples of deadly heat that we're seeing around the world are in areas that are historically cool. Uh, the 2021 heat dome over the Pacific Northwest. So a wonderful example of a place that didn't have a lot of experience with extreme heat, uh, didn't have widespread deployment of air conditioning. People didn't think they needed it. And as a consequence, when they did get exposed to this really profound heat dome, had a great deal of suffering. They had suffering not only because they didn't have the the physical equipment, the the air conditioning, but they weren't used to what to do. Uh, they didn't have their emergency services staged appropriately. They didn't have the community networks established to check on the elderly. And it it really shows how vulnerability to extreme events is this combination of experience, being prepared, being thoughtful, deploying resources in advance. And just being ready for what's coming. And one of the most challenging things about a changing climate is that you have to be prepared for things you've never seen. And that's a hard task for people to take on. And it's not just about temperature. You know, it's a major factor, for example, for states like, well, for us all, really, but states like Colorado, is that even if they get large amounts of snow, it doesn't last as long as it has in the past. Uh, and it's melting sooner in the spring, uh, leading to more issues, uh, sometimes with flooding and uh, because of that, and more of the precipitation in general coming as uh, precipitation, as rainfall, uh, and coming as larger events. And as a result, we have more issues with flooding and with drought than we've had in the past uh, in many, many parts of, the, of our country and many parts of the world. Uh, and then the coastlines have another whole issue, which has to do with the fact that the sea levels are rising, and that is going to cause major coastal issues. It already is. You know, in Miami, uh, in Miami on South Beach, you can go on a bright, sunny day and, and, and find water sitting in the street and, like, wonder where'd that come from. It hasn't rained in weeks. So that's that's happening already. I guess the next thing is just kind of float away and cover it all up. You all both mentioned something that I, I, I want to kind of devote the last segment of our show to, even though I'd like to jump to it now, but we have other things to talk about. And, and that is, we know this is happening. I know here in Texas they have documented this is one of the hottest summers on, on record, and I imagine that's happened in a whole lot of other places around the, the country. So we know this. So what are we doing to, to like you said, to prepare for it. But again, that, I, I want to kind of say that for our, our last segment, because uh, that seems to be the only way we're going to sustain this. We're going to go to break. 
And we'll be right back on the other side with these two gentlemen who are indeed making us smart. We are with Chris Field at Stanford University and Don Wibbles at the University of Illinois. We'll be right back on the other side. Thank you all. Welcome back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio today. To today's show, the first in our fifth season on climate change. And today we're talking about climate change unveiled, taking a closer look at the science and how it impacts our everyday reality. And we are back with Dr. Chris Field at Stanford University and Dr. Don Wibbles at the University of Illinois. So thank you all again for being with us today. Before the break, we were, you know, talking about how we can see and know about climate change in our everyday lives. And so I want to talk now, though, back with you, Don, to tell us a little bit about how climate change affects the environment and human health. I know that it goes, the environment affects or maybe drives climate change, but how does that drive back down to the environment? Well, uh, there's numerous ways in which the changes in climate are affecting human health and affecting us in many different ways. Part of that is through uh, the extreme events that lead to uh, extreme heat that can directly cause health issues. But on top of that, there's the concerns with uh, more intense storms, more intense wildfires that uh, cause breathing issues because of the particles that uh, the fires put out, as well as the immediate effect if you get caught in a fire. And then the issues with droughts and floods that all can both have uh, impacts on our health as well. And then on top of all that, you know, think, uh, you know it ends up weeds love the warmer weather. So you get you know, more pollen. I have major problems with those kind of allergies. So that's a, that's a big concern for me. But on top of that, there's many vector-type diseases, uh, West Nile, for example, that uh, can uh, be enhanced because of the the warmer conditions. So um, there's a lot of impacts on on our human health and and on the health of the biosphere as well. Back to the environment, though, in terms of how climate change impacts that, I want to go back to wildfires. I, I know that on our show, we do a whole month of shows on extreme weather events, and we consider wildfire is a weather event. Can you help our listeners understand this some more? Connect the dots for us about how climate change impacts or causes wildfires. Okay, so so climate change doesn't cause a wildfire. What it sets up is the conditions where a wildfire can be more intense. Okay. So wildfire can start from many, it can be caused by you know a human mistake, as it often is, or it can be caused by lightning or other natural causes. Uh, but that just starts the fire, and then how intense it is is it has a lot to do with the conditions that have been set up by by the changes in climate. Drier conditions, for example, in California and the West, that can make the grasses and trees be drier and more susceptible to being caught on fire. So it, there seems to be this misnomer that uh, climate changes causes wildfires. That's not true. It's just that the makes wildfires more intense. A, a good way to think about wildfires is there's two main things that climate does that makes wildfires easier to transition from a little easy to manage mm-hmm. thing to a potentially catastrophic thing. 
One is a longer fire season and having the snow melt earlier, start snowing later in the fall means that there's just more time for this risk of fire to occur. And there's more time to dry stuff out during the Western summer where typically we get very little rainfall. Now you use the the term though, Chris, you use the term fire season, like flood season. Talk about what is fire season? (laughs) Well, in the in the west, especially in the mountainous areas, they get snow in the winter and rarely have a wildfire when there's snow on the ground. Okay. It's not impossible, but basically snow is a pretty good fire extinguisher. And what we're seeing um, around the western mountains is a shorter and shorter fraction of the year when the ground is covered with snow and a longer and longer fraction of the year when the vegetation is drying out, especially the dead vegetation And even a few really hot days can transform little twigs and dry leaves from being, you know, barely burnable to something that's almost explosive. And the main thing that's that's led to this giant increase in the intensity of the megafires we're seeing around the West is that under these conditions, when the fuels are super flammable, the fire can really grow to just gargantuan proportions. It is important to recognize that climate change isn't the only factor that's causing the increase in wildfires. There has been a period of many decades when the philosophy of firefighting was that we wanted to put out every fire, and that's allowed more and more burnable, especially dead material or unhealthy trees to accumulate. Mm -hmm. And and we really have seen a very challenging interaction between these sometimes misguided fuel management policies and the climate conditions that are setting things up for the explosive catastrophic fires. So with all of that, are we able to predict or maybe even estimate where the next wildfire hotspots are going to be? I ask that because in our very first season of Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio, this was when the, all the, the, the wildfires were consuming Australia. And we actually had some um, uh, experts from um, the University of Queensland. And it's interesting because at that time they told us on the show, they're coming for you. Uh, and again, that was about four years ago. And I think it probably the next within about two years is when, you know, we kept hearing about the, you said, the mega fires in California. So with that, are we able to predict maybe other well, we areas? Predict the fire. What we can do is put a risk factor into the possibility of it being a major wildfire. And in fact, we're doing that. My company, Earth Knowledge, is doing that for the state of California, where we provide a uh, a weekly projection of, you know, where could be a major wildfire. And in fact, we were very successful in uh, suggesting that there could be a major wildfire in the Yosemite region a year ago, a couple years ago, and uh, that uh, ended up being a really major fire. By warning the state, they're able to kind of help prepare that, you know, maybe, maybe they're going to have an issue in a certain place that they need to be ready for. And and so they've been very pleased with the analysis we're providing to them. It is really important to try and predict where fires will occur, but it's also really important to recognize that we have this really broad spread risk and that essentially the entire area of western forests is susceptible to these catastrophic fires. And we need a 
response plan that's both based on scientific predictions, like Don's company provides, and is broad-based. It's also really important to recognize that the impacts of a fire aren't felt only locally. With recent fires, we've seen smoke covering much of the entire country so that the health impacts of a fire in small location in Northern California can be really profoundly felt in the Midwest or even in the South. Or Canada. We've been having a lot of fires in right. Canada this year because of the drying of the forest there. Anybody who was driving across the United States, the middle or certainly the northern part, experienced the uh, the Canadian, the, the fallout from the Canadian fires. And I think it was last year we actually had some wildfires even in the mediums in the streets here in North Texas. So it, 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 it's, it's very much there for all of us. So I want to go back, ask both of you all really briefly, in your work, in your estimation, what would you, what do you think, we'll start with you first, Don, what do you think is perhaps the most significant impact of climate change in our world today? Oh, boy. Um, From your work, and that's going to be, you know, I know that's based upon what you do and, and, and the work you do, the studies and things like that, but from where you sit. Well, I, I, there's so many different aspects mm-hmm. that I'm mm-hmm. concerned about that it's it's difficult to just pin down one. Uh, I spend a lot of time working on uh, the concerns for the Midwest, and, and so some of the concerns there are extreme heat. We've had you know heat waves here that led to hundreds of deaths in the Chicago region, for example, in the past. Uh, Chicago is now better prepared because of the fact that we were able to show them that that climate change is going to cause even more of those. And so they've they've done a lot of actions to help with that. We're also very concerned about uh, extreme storms and uh, and what that means. The fact that uh, the tornado season is changing is lengthening, but also moving further east and what that means in terms of impacts on people that maybe didn't see those kind of storms before. And then we're concerned about the Great Lakes, Uh, you know, great resource of uh, Fresh water for the uh, uh, the country. I mean, you know, it counts for 19% of the uh, fresh water available in the world. But because of higher precipitation, more of it coming as larger events, we also have issues with coastal issues with the fact that we're getting high lake levels that are causing a lot of uh, impacts on people's properties. And and so there's a lot of concern about that in, the re- in this region, and we're trying to understand that better. I, I want to ask you this, Don, though, and, we, and, and then we're going to go to go to break, and then we'll come back uh, and, and get Chris's uh, take on that. But you said it's causing high lake levels in the Great Lakes. Yeah. That's so interesting. In 2019, we had the highest lake level in Lake Michigan and Huron and Superior that we've ever seen. How does that happen? And, you, you, uh, you don't have any ice melting into them. How does that so it's uh, in part, be- well, it's mostly because there was larger amounts of precipitation oh, okay. coming as larger events into the uh, watersheds uh, affecting the lakes, and uh, and they just didn't have a way of dealing with that water. You know, the water in the Great Lakes is heavily controlled as to how rapidly it can flow out to the Atlantic. Oh, okay. And uh, if they allow it to flow too fast, then it causes flooding further east. So... So they, they tried to control those levels, and what happened in, in that case was it resulted in such high levels uh, that we had major coastal erosion issues in uh, Illinois, Michigan, parts of Canada, uh, Wisconsin, et cetera. 
Indeed. Thank you for that. We'll be right back on the other side with Chris Field with Stanford University and Dunn Wibbles at the University of Illinois. Thank you all. We want to give a shout out now to our sponsors. That is Natural Awakenings, Dallas, Fort Worth, Metroplex Magazine, The Green, Healthy and Sustainable Living Authority for the DFW Metroplex and North Texas communities. Print issues of Natural Awakenings can be found in all HEB stores, all natural grocers, all central markets, sunflower shops, and many, many other locations, as well as available free for download online at nadallas.com. Check them out. Our other sponsor is Lynn Dental Care, practicing dentistry for over 38 years, non-mercury with a holistic approach, looking at the whole body. Specializing in periodontics, Dr. Lynn is board certified by the International Academy of Oral Medicine and Toxicology. Check them out at lindentalcare.com. And our other sponsor is the Weston A. Price Foundation. Based on the research of nutrition pioneer Dr. Weston Price, whose studies established the parameters of human health and determine the optimum characteristic of human diets. The Weston A. Price Foundation is a member-supported organization dedicated to restoring nutrient-dense foods to the modern diet. They are preparing for their annual conference called Wise Tradition. For 2023, this will be in Kansas City, October 20th through 22nd. For more information and to register, visit wisetraditions.org. Thank you, sponsors. Welcome back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio today, to today's episode on climate change. And we're trying to unveil climate change today, taking a closer look at the science and the reality of our everyday lives. We are back with Dr. Chris Field at Stanford University and Dr. Don Wibbles at the University of Illinois. And they really are making us smarter. Thank you all for being with us. I want to start this segment uh, with you, Chris. And and let you weigh in on what you see in your work from your perch as perhaps the most significant impacts of climate change in our world today. I think Don hit on the key point that the most important impacts are different in different parts of the world. Here in California, our key concerns are are heat, drought, flood, and impacts of wildfires, especially wildfire smoke. In the southeastern U.S., it's a combination of heat, humidity, and coastal flooding. In other parts of the world, it's the way that high temperatures increase challenges with air pollution or increase the range of dangerous diseases. And it really does vary from place to place, with many of the most profound impacts being in places that are already poor and have contributed very little to the climate change we've seen to date. And Don, you had mentioned earlier, and I want to talk about, just really you to talk about really briefly, about the economics or the economic impact of climate change. That is something that I know is significant from many of the other shows that we do in the various uh, environmental issues we, we talk about every month. But I think that's perhaps escaping people in their everyday lives or it's it's so incremental they don't see it. I don't know. Sure. So first of all, it it's important to realize that the cost of not doing something about climate change is is far higher than the cost of doing something. So we, you know, I know you do want to get into solutions, mm-hmm. but on top of that, 
uh, climate change is really affecting us all. I, mean, I hear all the time people say, oh, you know, climate change isn't affecting me, so why should I care? Uh, but in fact, it's affecting us all because of the fact that the, all these increasing amount of extreme events is uh, resulting in much higher costs to our government and to the governments around the world in terms of dealing with these changes. An example of that, in 1980, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration started measuring the billion-dollar events. And there used to be a couple of those events every year, typically, and now we're seeing 20 or more such events. In fact, in 2023, there's already been 23 such events. And the net result is since 1980, it's well over a trillion dollars impact on our economy from these events, from just the billion dollar events. So if it's less than a billion dollar, they didn't count it. So the cost to the taxpayer is extensive and it's going to get even much more extensive in the future. And that really affects us all. And we need to recognize that. And Chris, I know that you said your research focuses on climate change, though, especially solutions that improve lives now. And and so that's why I want to focus this last segment of our of our time together on on solutions. And and you both mentioned earlier that we, we know certain things, we can predict certain things. So what are some of the, the solutions that we can take now? And I think you talked about natural solutions, too. Talk to us about that a little bit. Well, as Don says, the investing in solutions is, is much cheaper than just tolerating the damages, especially over the long term. And we need to think about the two arms of the solutions tree. Uh, one important arm, the critical arm, is to cut emissions. And until we can bring the emissions of these heat-trapping gases down to zero, the climate challenges are going to continue to get greater and greater. So we need to keep a strong focus on that. But the really good news is that the solutions that cut emissions also can improve lives. Electric vehicles are just a much better, safer driving experience than fossil fuel vehicles. Uh, By eliminating electricity from coal, we also can eliminate hundreds of thousands or millions of deaths from the air pollution that the particle matter from coal causes. And and around the board, we, we can really make better lives by cutting emissions. But we can also make better lives by investing in building resilience or in adapting to the climate changes we can't avoid. And that can be everything from what we think about as uh, traditional measures like, like seawalls to simply doing a better job of being prepared for whatever emergency and uh, comes up. That's things like better communications and transportation networks, better public health infrastructure, exactly the kinds of things that we saw fail in this really horrific recent event in Maui. If we just had our act together to be prepared and, and even prepared for non-climate events like chemical spills or earthquakes, we can do a much better job, making sure that we have cooling centers, making sure that communities are alert to the kinds of things that can come up and and are in connection with the people who are especially vulnerable. And thinking about making infrastructure better, houses better insulated. There's just thing after thing where we know that small investments now can lead to not only 
long-term benefits in a changing climate, but short-term benefits in terms of near-term economic activity, near-term comfort, and near-term well-being. Well, Chris, is anybody doing anything? Can you tell us about anything that you know that people are doing to prepare for what they know is coming, for like some of the things they've experienced this summer or last summer? The story of investment in climate solutions is a classic good news, bad news thing. There's just a huge amount of progress in in reducing emissions from deploying electricity from wind and solar, from purchasing electric appliances or electric vehicles. We're really seeing lots of progress there, especially in bringing the prices down. The frustrating thing is it's going way too slowly to tackle the challenge that we currently face. In the adaptation space, it's similar. We are seeing lots of examples of a very effective intervention, some of which aren't all that expensive. For example, Bangladesh has been very effective at decreasing deaths due to tropical cyclones by simple methods of uh, sort of family-to-family communication networks, building low-cost flood protection structures, just taking a common-sense approach. And around the country and around the world, I'm seeing more and more thoughtful community-based efforts to build out the infrastructure of what I think of as adaptation-aware or climate-aware societies. And what we really need to do is build these things into the mainstream of what we do every day, how we think about what I'm going to do today, what I'm going to purchase today, and how I'm going to go about my daily activities. And there is a lot of progress but I think there's still a tremendous need and a tremendous opportunity to recognize that we can make better lives today by increasing the amount that we invest in being a resilient society. Indeed. Let me ask you this, though, Chris, too, before I let you go. For example, we we talked earlier, probably at the top of the show, about how many areas in, in this country are experiencing record heat waves and record number of, of, of hot days. So they know this in like Arizona, Phoenix, it's hot anyway, but it's got much hotter. Same thing here in North Texas. Are you seeing any preparations that these areas are undertaking or even discussing now for next year? I know it's a concern with me personally because we had to like hunker down here in North Texas. So I am thinking about things I can do so that my life is better and more comfortable next summer. Yeah, that's exactly right. One of the things I think is kind of cool is that major cities around the country are now appointing chief heat officers to try and figure out what are the common sense things that can be done in order to decrease vulnerability I'm having a conversation in a couple of days with the chief heat officer for the city of Los Angeles, and she's responsible for things like making sure that when there's a heat wave, the the people who don't have homes have a place to go, Uh, making sure that there's thoughtful deployment of things like shade trees so that for people who are outdoors, they can get a moment's break. And there are just lots and lots of things that can be done if there are people whose you know, primary job is to think about how you build a better, more resilient community. And we're seeing progress, but it needs to be a lot faster than it is. 
And and Don, do y'all have a chief cold officer or in uh, in your area? I interact a lot with the people in Chicago, mm-hmm. and they they're very concerned about climate change. Mm-hmm. I think what, as as Chris was implying, there's a lot being done locally. What we're not doing is bringing all the nations together very effectively and actually making action happen worldwide. And that's that's the big concern in terms of getting enough mitigation in a short enough time to really prevent really serious things happening over the next 30, 40 years. It's cliche, but it's uh, going to take a village. It's going to take the whole Earth village. very important to remember that in the United States, even though we're really struggling with this, we're among the best prepared people anywhere and the, have the most alternatives we can use to address the problem. In, in places where people are poor and the infrastructure mm-hmm. is poor, the challenges are much greater. And we should be thinking about our role as global citizens and not just as people who are directly impacted. Indeed. There's a lot more we should be doing for the Indeed. Industry. We just have a few seconds to go. And very quickly, Don, I'm going to ask you, what do you see... If any, is there any good news about climate change? Well, there, yeah, people always <laughs> ask me, what, you talk about all these bad things. What, where's the good news? And the answer is there isn't much. Our society and the biosphere around us has all adapted to the climate we've had for a long period of time. And now we're seeing these very sudden changes, and it's very difficult to deal with that. So, so there isn't a whole lot of good news. Um, That's why I only gave you two seconds. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, we have really been made smarter by these two smart gentlemen. We have been today with Chris Field at Stanford University and Don Wibbles at the University of Illinois. And again, you have made us smarter, and we greatly appreciate you taking time to be with us. Thank you all. And thank you, listeners, for listening in today to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio. The conversation starts here, but our goal is for it to continue in your home, in your social circles, in your workplaces, at the water cooler, and in the grocery checkout line, so that we can all work together to realize that healthy living is simply not possible without a healthy planet. Our culture is a result of a trillion tiny acts, taken by billions of people every day like yourselves. But each of those tiny acts can seem insignificant, but all of them add up one way or the other to the change that we each live through. This is your host, Bernice Butler. Thank you for listening in today. And join us again next week as we continue our fifth season and listen to any of our past shows on podcasts wherever you get yours. Thank you. Thank you.